All right, well, let's get into the text uh, and the sermon. If you'll open your Bibles with me to Revelation chapter 9. Revelation chapter 9. We will pick up where we left off the last time, and we'll look at the fifth trumpet that is blown, and uh, we will see what exactly God has for us in this passage. Uh, Before we get started, let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for all that you do for us and how you pour into us continually. And I pray, God, that you would help us today to understand the Word of God and that it might be applied to our lives in such a way that it would change us, mold us, um, uh, uh, just really uh, help us to see who you are and to sanctify us as you uh, uh, prayed in John chapter 17. Thank you so much for how you do work in our lives continually. We love you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. So today we're looking at Revelation chapter 19. Uh, uh, Hopefully we'll get through about verse 11 um, before we get to the the two uh, other woes that are coming after the first. And if you'll remember back when we touched, it's been a week or so before we touched on the last, but we talked about the impending doom and the judgment that is coming on all who have not bowed the knee to Jesus Christ. We talked about the first um, picture and... um, portrayal of the judgment was found in chapter 6, and that judgment was really speaking of the type of um, persecution that would come on the believers and how it would serve as a trial and a testing of believers, and that they would be proven through these things to be the children of God and to be believers in Jesus Christ. And then in chapter 8, <clears throat> we see this, uh, these seals start to be open, and, and we see the final seal and the judgment. And then chapter 8 moves into the seven trumpets, which we said then was a recapitulation or a retelling of the same event of those events in chapter 6, but this time from the perspective of judgment and with an emphasis on judgment. And the last time we looked at these trumpets, we took a little bit different angle at it, and we said that the, um, the plagues and the trumpets and the judgments were not so much given as a warning and as with the desired result of repentance, though uh, we understand that God does not delight in the, uh, the punishment of the wicked in so much as that he wants them to come, but that this was not about repentance because their hearts were so hardened. As a matter of fact, just like in 6, when those testing comes, it's proof of those who do believe in God. When the truth comes against those who are not God's people, it actually has a hardening effect. You know, this is a good way for us to gauge just where we are in our spiritual walk. It helps us to gauge whether or not we truly be in the faith. When you hear a word from the Lord, when you hear from the Lord, does it cause you to harden your heart? Does it cause you to become rebellious? Does it it cause you to become stiff-necked and angry? You know, I'm teaching this biblical womanhood class, and I seem to come back to it almost every week because I'm learning so much. One thing I can appreciate in our ladies is that I'm laying out some very difficult teaching in that class. Some teaching that speaks against the ways that the culture has understood a strong woman, what a strong woman is. Some ways that our culture has portrayed of just what a successful woman is, is is literally perfectly opposite of the godly woman. The external adorning with with, with hair and jewelry, and not to say that it's wrong to fix up, but if you find your identity in how many male heads you can turn, you have gone far, far astray. 
And I would even say, as a side note, that many of my Christian sisters who truly are believers have bought into the lie of the world that your identity and your worth and your value comes from your sexual identity and your ability to draw the male eye. And in so doing, you are disobedient to the scriptures and you are sinful. And I believe will answer not only for that sin, but the sin of those whom you have tripped and who you have caused to fall. Ladies, as a side note, you need to be careful of how you dress. You need to be careful of how you dress. Because one, to, to dress too provocatively is doing exactly what you know it to be doing. Saying, look at me, look at me, look at me, which draws glory from God and it's idolatry. But secondarily, it causes your male counterparts to stumble. For they are stupid men. And they are very weak in the flesh. And some of those men are married. And you are causing that married man to lust after you. And as Jesus said, commit adultery in his own heart. Do you not believe that just like the, the prowling woman who lures the husband away to sleep with him, do you not believe as Jesus taught, many of you have heard, do not commit adultery, but I say unto you that any man who looks on a woman with lust in his heart has committed adultery already. Do you believe the woman that draws a man's eyes away that he might commit lust would be responsible for making that man commit adultery as well? For what is greater, the desires of the heart or the actions of the hands? Jesus seems to tell us that it's the desires of the heart, for they go even deeper and farther than the actions of the hands. All of that is to, uh, to draw out this aspect of Christianity and the aspect of the reality of our situation, that the way that we live our lives is really indicative of and, and evidence of who we really know. So as those temptations come and as those judgments come and as those, those times of, of desire creep into your life and as those hardships come, those things that God allows to come into the picture, they'll either serve to prove who you are in a negative way or to prove who you are in a positive way. Well, here we see the aspect of proving who these unbelievers are in a negative way. For as these judgments come, they do not speak of, 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 of this type of testing, but they just speak of judgment, judgment, judgment. And last week or the week before when we spoke on those particular passages, we had spoke on the fact that if judgment is coming against the wicked and judgment is coming against the world, and we really do believe what God's word says about the horrific reality of the judgment and the impending wrath of God, wouldn't we really get outside of these walls and take what we have learned, take what we have been trained in, take what we have been entrusted with to the world that they might escape such a fate? <clears throat> those who spend their whole lives within the church walls never to have shed a tear for those outside the church walls, I believe will share the same fate as those who have never seen Jesus. Not because it's punishment for that particular sin, but because that's evidence that they never even knew him. As Jesus Christ has, has said, that uh, to the degree that you have done it to the least of these, you have done it unto me also. How are you living your life? Well, as we continue on, we just get worse. 
We see that the impending doom for those who are unbelievers continues on through the, uh, through the first four trumpets to the fifth trumpet to the sixth. And then the final judgment, we see God pouring out wrath. Listen to this. Chapter 9, verse 1. Let's stand to our feet as we read the word of God. You have to forgive my voice. Today will be a little more subtle and quiet. <laughs> You're like, who is this guy preaching? Chapter 9. And the fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star fallen. That's going to be important, the tense of that, that verb. Fallen from heaven to earth, and he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. He opened the shaft of the bottomless pit, and from the shaft rose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke from the shaft. Then from the smoke came locusts on the earth, and they were given power like the power of scorpions of the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree, but only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. That's going to be extremely important as well. They were allowed to torment them for five months, but not to kill them. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings someone. And in those days, people will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. In appearance, the locusts were like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were what looked like crowns of gold. Their faces were like human faces, their hair like women's hair, and their, feet, and their teeth like lion's teeth. They had breastplates of, uh, like breastplates of iron, and the noise of their wings was like the noise of many chariots with horses rushing into battle. They have tails and stings like scorpions, and their power to hurt people for five months is in their tails. They have, an, uh, they have as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek he is called Apollyon. May God bless the reading and the hearing of his word. You may be seated. Very interesting section of scripture as, as John, as the, as the revelation comes to John, and he starts to see in picture form what this uh, judgment is going to look like and what is going to be unfolded against those who refuse to bow the knee to Jesus Christ and who live in rebellion uh, against him and who do not obey his word and do not uh, fall down at his feet and who are not born again by the blood of Jesus Christ. It says, and the fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star falling from heaven <coughs> to earth, and he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. The first thing that jumps out, and as I was reading the commentaries, I found this very fascinating, is that the verb there, fallen, is in past tense. It's actually in perfect tense, which means this, is, this has already happened. So the, the picture is, is that John is seeing, as it were, uh, a, a star that is laying on the ground because it had already fallen. He doesn't see it falling out of the sky, but he sees a star that had fallen, past tense. So this is, a, this is a, 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 an event that's already happened, and it's very reminiscent. It brings back uh, something that we've read earlier in the Gospels before we, had, we would have even gotten to this stage, words that Jesus Christ spoke himself. Let's look there in Luke chapter 10 and see what Jesus says about this fallen star. Luke chapter 10, <clears throat> verse 18. You can turn there with me or I'll just read it. <clears throat> now, I want to uh, say something here for just a second before I actually read those 
text because this is very important because we're going to see just exactly what the angel or what Jesus is trying to convey to John as it pertains to his audience. Because what we're going to see is, is that in the, in the parable or in the section of Luke, what happens is he sends out 72 disciples. He sends them out that they might go into the cities and that they might preach the gospel to anyone that would hear and if anyone would hear, he is to enter into that house and he is to pronounce a blessing on them and he is to uh, uh, be an encouragement to them and to stay with them as long as he can that he might be a blessing. So those who receive the disciples, those who receive the ones who carry the word of God receive a blessing. They receive a blessing and it is good and right with them. But those who refuse to hear them, then they shake the dust off. They, they pronounce judgment upon them worse than uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. And they leave that place and they leave them to their cursed, hardened hearts and disobedience. Now, <clears throat> when the disciples go out, they experience both of these, and they come back with this exciting news that they, can, that they can cast out demons and that they can have authority over the demonic forces in the dark realm that is combating them and coming against them. And they have, they have this spiritual authority in the power and the word of Jesus Christ. So as they go out, and let's understand, we are not talking about, some people might say, oh, that doesn't pertain to me. That's the disciples. That's the apostles. They walked with Christ. They were endowed with a special type of power. Remember, we're speaking of the 72 here. We're speaking of a bunch of guys who listened to Jesus, had received Jesus, and were sent out in the community. We're not talking explicitly about the 12 disciples apart from any others. We're talking about people of God. People of God who had been endow endowed with power to overcome the dark supernatural forces that are uh, waging war against this world. So in the same way, you as a disciple of Christ have power over the dark realm. Now, many of you don't even believe in the dark realm, and so therefore you can't exercise authority over it. But I'm telling you right now that we need to come to an understanding of who Jesus Christ is and who we are, ambassadors of Christ, and we need to go out into the world, and we need to exercise authority over the darkness, and we need to, to, to proclaim the light that they might come into the light and be set free from the darkness. We fail to do so, and therefore darkness reigns. And we're like, I wish it wasn't so dark around here. Well, you're the light. Hide it under a bushel? No. I'm going to let it shine. Do you let it shine? You say, that's a little children's song. No, it's not. It's a reality that if you would only walk in, we would see darkness diminish in our communities, in our homes, and in our families. You say, what has this got to do with Revelation chapter 9? It's got a lot to do with it. Because he goes on, you see, they went into the streets and it says that, 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 that when they wouldn't receive, they'd shake it off. And, and this is the woe to the unrepentant cities. Listen to this. Verse 13 of Luke chapter 10, woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in, in sackcloth and ashes, but it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you, and you, Capernaum, will be, uh, will you be exalted to heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. So it's judgment on all those who refuse to accept and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen to what he says, though. Now, this is amazing, and this is the truth that I was just telling you about, quoted from the lips of Jesus Christ. Listen to what he says. The one who hears you, 
Listen, I can say this to you because this is to the, the 72 disciples. There's no distinction between them and from every disciple that has come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to what he says to them. The one who hears you uh, hears me. And the one who rejects you rejects me. And the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. We, we say it, but do we believe it? That we actually carry the words of life as we go into the darkness. And as we proclaim the words of life, those who would receive it would receive light. And they would receive new birth. And they would receive the power of the Holy Spirit that would transfer them from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of the beloved Son. You see, and the kingdom grows and expands. And as we share this light with those around us, and they become light bearers as well, they also go into the darkness. And if anything, we know that if you and I walk into a room with a flashlight, we will light the room up. But if all of us turn our lights on, there will be no place for darkness in the room. We must take up our cross and follow him. We must not hide our light. No, no one lights a, a candle and puts it under a, a, a shade. No, they open it up. They, 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 they blow it into flame so that it lights the whole room. Listen to what he says, though. The 72 return. Now, what you're going to see, the problem with, ex, with exercising spiritual authority, okay, because once this starts happening, and it can, it's just, it's, you're the only one holding it back. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, and you see the ex excitement here, and the way it's written in the Greek shows the excitement and the wow, right? <clears throat> Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Even I'd be excited too. You know, you, the demon is a scary thing, you know? I mean, how many of you have seen The Exorcist or some crazy movie like that? You know, you see this freaky little young girl or the freaky really old lady. Those are the worst, you know? You know, and her head turns around and it just goes on. You're like, everybody's running. Everybody's running from the hills except Jesus and the ones who are empowered by Jesus and know it. Hold on, what you, you got to get out of her. And this happened. You say, you say, well, that's just then and this is just now. Show me the text. Show me the text. And some of you might hang me up for it, but I've seen a demon in action and I've seen one come out. Come on, Susie, we got to go. <laughs> I didn't know. <clears throat> hey, I've seen it with my own eyes and I can't lie about it. I'm telling you right now, if you, don't think that if you do not think demons exist, you open yourself up to be affected by them, and you're not even aware of it. They're just floating all around in your house. They come in the form of, of pornography, drugs, alcohol, greed, lust, you name it. They do it. They come in good forms, too, like PlayStation 4. Get out of here, demon. But here we see the disciples giving power to exercise authority over demons, and they're, they're stoked about it, you know? I can only imagine it doesn't show us. I know they cast out demons. One time Jesus went up to a guy that was in a cemetery, and he'd been cutting himself. No chain could bind him, and, and he comes running. I, can't, I don't have time to get into that story, but this is the same type of spirit, spirit that we have because we know from Romans chapter 8 that the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead also will give life to our mortal bodies, so we have life now in our mortal bodies. We have power to exercise authority authority over the dominion of this world and over the demons of this world. Some are a little more uh, powerful than others, so we have to uh, exercise some in power and fasting. If this is all new to you, I'm sorry, but yeah, demons are real. 
But we see Jesus Christ is so powerful that uh, there was one demonic man who was uh, uh, filled with a legion of demons. And he doesn't have to work with him and do this and do that. As a matter of fact, when he steps out of the boat on the shore, the man comes running, bows down at his feet and says, what would you do with me? You see, we, know, we have no idea the power that we have. We have no idea. All the, de- all the demonic activity around us and it's eating up our children, it's eating up our community, it's eating up everyone around us, and we're like, what do we do? Go speak the word of life. Go speak the word of, build a relationship and tell them about the gospel of Jesus Christ and watch it crumble. Watch it crumble. Well, it's not about your power over the forces, though. It's not about your power over the forces, but it's about your relationship with Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, that your name is written in the book of life. Listen to what he says. Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Does that sound familiar? Does it sound familiar, the, the serpents and the scorpions uh, and the power over the enemy that nothing shall hurt you? Does that sound familiar? You see, the crazy thing is that Jesus Christ also says, I saw I saw Satan fall from heaven. Now, remember, this is during his, his earthly ministry. So Jesus Christ is on the earth now. So if this is past tense and he's speaking it, means that, that Satan had already fallen to the earth. And we understand that he must have fallen to the earth sometime when? When Adam and Eve was put into the garden or before Adam and Eve was, was put into the garden. And we have uh, commentators who uh, very well believe that there was two falls. An angelic fall and uh, a human fall, which I would have to say, I guess I, I would have to agree with because Satan was here. There had to be some type of fall that he rebelled against God, was cast out of heaven, fell to earth <coughs> like, a, like a lightning bolt and uh, was judged. And then God created man and here come the serpent. Well, the crazy thing is, is that he says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority. Now, this is present tense. I have given you uh, authority uh, over these things. I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. So he gives power over who? Who's the serpent? It's Satan himself. He gives power over the serpents, the scorpions in Revelation chapter 9 are the, the enemy's uh, minions. He's, these are demons. These are those who would seek to devour those who come against you. <clears throat> so you have authority over serpents and authority over scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. So he covers all of this thing. He says nothing can come against you. Nothing can take away your salvation. Nothing can, can kill you in an eternal sense. You have nothing to fear. Go out. And that's an amazing thing. But listen to what he says next. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. That we shouldn't be our primary focus. You see, if we start to exercise authority over the demonic realm, if we start to see spiritual gifts exercised in our congregation, and we're seeing some here and we're seeing some there, and that makes some of us nervous. It really does. Because we know how careful we need to be with those things. And some of us are overly cautious and therefore God can't work in our midst in that way. We see that in the scriptures too. To the, accord, to the degree that you have believed that has been granted to you. But on the other end, some of us take full advantage of that to the degree that we go too far that way. And we make it all about the gifts and not about the king. 
We must be balanced. The only reason that God uh, operates in our midst with supernatural powers is to bring us to the supernatural king. It's not about your power over, over spiritual dominions. It's about Jesus Christ finding a home in your heart and bringing other people to him by the demonstration of power over the darkness. <clears throat> it's not about anything except oneness with Jesus Christ. And this oneness with Jesus Christ, ironically, is the thing that spurs on the power of the darkness in the beginning. In, in the first place, is that we, the branches, can do nothing apart from the vine. Nothing, nothing. We are powerless apart from Jesus Christ. Well, let's take what we've learned there back to Revelation chapter 9. <clears throat> And just let that seep in for a second and, and let it help us to understand here what uh, John is conveying to us, what the angel is conveying to John when he says, And the fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star fall, falling from heaven to earth, and he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. Now this star is an angelic being, and in my opinion, it is Satan himself who has been cast down out of heaven uh, to the earth. And he has been given temporary authority to come after those on earth. But let's never forget that just like Job points out very explicitly that Satan has no dominion save that that is granted to him by the king of kings who is sovereign over all. That's number one, that we, the first point that we need to take out of this. Satan has no power over you. Demons have no power over you to even test you lest it come through the hand of God. And we can trust that in his sovereignty, he knows what he's doing and any test that might come will serve for your benefit and for his glory. And that he does have the power to, to, to say stop or to hold you up under it that the attack against you might prove just how powerful he is. So the first thing that we want to see is the authority that God has over Satan. So he cast him down and said, get out of here, boy. And then once he's down here, he grants to him. The, you see how the, the, the key is given to him? You see, who has the key? Jesus Christ. He has all the keys. He has all the keys. He locks it up. He opens it up. He does whatever he wants, whenever he wants, however he wants. He's the king. And Satan is subject to him as well. That's the one thing that we need to hold on to. That would take all the fear away as we go into the satanic realm because you are called to go out uh, as sheep amongst wolves. But you are to go out with power that no one can see except you and your king. If you go out in this power, you will do things and demonstrate things that's impossible. And that's why they will give glory to your God, your Father who is in heaven. It says here that he's given a key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. He opened the shaft of the bottomless pit, and from the shaft rose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke of, uh, from the shaft. Darkness is always associated with judgment. Darkness is always associated with judgment. The, the crazy thing here is I began to read this text before I saw some of the context and before I saw some of the, the, the words of Jesus that helped me to understand here. I was thinking that the uh, enemy was primarily after the believers. And don't get me wrong, he is after the believers. But in this judgment right here, the, the opening of the bottomless pit, and this, this he's not opening the pit. This actually reads... He opened the shaft of the bottomless pit. The pit's not been opened. The shaft of the pit has been opened. And from that shaft arose smoke. And what we're going to see in a second is out of that smoke came something like locusts that attacked the world of unbelievers. 
You see, the crazy thing is, is that when Christ allows Satan into the world, he does attack believers, but it's primarily a judgment for the unbelievers. And we see this because what is the unbeliever's downfall? It is everything that he seeks to find his glory in outside of Jesus Christ. So we've talked about this before too. So many of us believers, we look at the unbelievers, we're like, that's not fair. He gets this and he gets that and he's got the money and he's got the, the women or she's got the man and they got the car and they got the, why don't I got all that stuff? But what we fail to realize is, is that uh, it's harder for a rich man to pass through the, the eye of a needle than it is, I'm sorry, it's easier for a rich man to pass through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to get in the kingdom of heaven. It's easier for, can I just messed that all up. It's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to get into heaven. You see, we don't like this, but oftentimes, not always, oftentimes, financial and material blessing is a curse rather than a blessing, a spiritual true blessing. Oftentimes, the way that, that the enemy works seems as if he's coming against us, but it's the downfall and the judgment of those who are of the world because they don't see it coming and they put all of their trust in these things. And in the end, it serves to be their demise. And we saw that last week, if you, or the week before last, if you remember when we talked about the city of, uh, uh, the city of um, judgment, this economic, um, this economic um, outburst, this economic system of Babylon, and, and it, was a, it was a symbol of this, this, this system that continually tries to hold everything up and tries to be God, but when it falls, those who put their trust in this system, materials, finances, lust, things of the world, they crumble. They crumble because it cannot stand. Well, we see here that the a uh, star that had fallen, Satan himself has given temporary dominion. He has granted a, 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 a level of authority, and he opened this shaft of the bottomless pit, and from the shaft rose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke from the shafts. From the shaft. Then from the smoke came locusts on the earth, and they were given power like the power of scorpions of the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree, but only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. You start to see this, this unfold from the understanding of Luke chapter 10 now when he says <clears throat> that the locust, that Satan and his, dominion, and his minions and his demons will be able to go after the earth, but those who had received the seal, those who had received the power of the Holy Spirit, Ephesians chapter 1, the Holy Spirit is the seal, those who had received the, spiel, the, the seal will be protected from the enemy, will be protected from the evil one, and will be protected from this judgment. But the judgment is so severe that it causes them to wish that they were dead, but they could not even die. It's, it's amazing how the, the, the Bible continually foreshadows and prophesies all of these things. Turn with me in Deuteronomy chapter 28. I want to show you something. Now, we understand that uh, this, uh, these locusts that are coming uh, in this way are reminiscent and make us uh, take us back to Exodus chapter 10 and the plague which brought the locusts that demolished and devoured Egypt. But what was the truth about the locusts that demolished, demolished and devoured Egypt? Did they affect the Israelites? Not the specific place where the Israelites were. God's people were protected. Now, did the Israelites feel some backlash from the judgment on the people around them? 
Sure they would have, because the economic system would have fallen. But you see how it all lines up, because he already told us in the beginning of chapter 8 that those who put their trust in the economic system will experience demise because the God of this world will crumble. And if you put your hope in that, then your hope will crumble because it cannot last. But all of those who put their hope in Christ, when the economic system fades and the economic system crumbles, will be lasting because they stand on the rock, the rock of Jesus Christ. If we look at Deuteronomy chapter 28, now this is being written after the Exodus, but what we see here is a prophecy that the plagues will happen again and that they will be unfolded against those who are unbelievers. I won't read the whole thing. We don't have time to do that, but I want to show you a few things here that I thought was absolutely amazing. Just go to chapter uh, 28, and I want you to look... um, at verse 1, just to kind of set the tone a little bit. And it says, And if you faithfully obey the voice of, of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commands that I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above the nations, above all the nations of the earth, and all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you obey the voice of of the Lord your God. Now, this is setting in contrast those who will not obey the voice of God. And this is uh, the, uh, the Mosaic covenant, okay? So all that would keep and obey the Mosaic covenant would experience covenant relationship with the God of the Old Testament. I will be your God and, not, and you will be my people. This was a conditional covenant based on the obedience to the law, and it portrayed or foreshadowed what Jesus Christ would do in perfectly keeping the law and fulfilling every aspect of the law, that those who would be believe in him and be born into the family of God, would be born into true Israel, spiritual Israel, would have all of the the commandments of God fulfilled in them and in the eyes of God be perfectly righteous and be able to have fellowship and oneness with him and therefore be partakers of the new covenant that is by grace and not by works of the law. With that being said, those who would obey the Mosaic covenant would experience blessing, but those who would disobey would experience curse. And he prophesied here that those who lived outside of covenant relationship with God would experience a second set of plagues. Flip on over... (coughs) (coughs) <coughs> 28 verse 15. Deuteronomy 28 verse 15. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> verse 15. You turn me off, you're good. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God or be careful to do all his commandments and his statutes that I command you today, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. Cursed shall you be in the city and cursed shall you be in the field. Cursed shall your basket and your kneading bowl. Cursed shall be the fruit of your womb and the fruit of the ground and so on and so forth. Now, what I want to show you is some of the specifics that come out here that is revealed in Revelation 9 that I believe that the final judgment and that the second set of plagues that's coming onto the earth as judgment against non-believers and testing for believers is exactly what he's speaking of here. Listen to what he says here in verse 28. This is just crazy to me. Verse 28 of Deuteronomy 28. The Lord will strike you with madness and blindness and confusion of mind, and you shall grope at noonday as the blind grope in darkness, and you shall not prosper in your ways, and you shall be only oppressed and robbed continually, and there shall be no one to help you. 
no one to help you. You, you hear the hopelessness. You hear the utter, the utter hopelessness that they grope around in darkness and there's no one to help them. They are utterly alone. There is no hope for them whatsoever. Well, read what he says here in Revelation 9, verse 4. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth and any green plant or any tree, but only those people who do not have the seal of God in their foreheads, those who are outside the covenant of Jesus Christ and the, the redemption brought by his sacrifice, they were allowed to torment them for five months. So this is a temporary tormenting as of now, but not to kill them. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings someone. And in those days, people will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. You see, so we get the picture of this darkness that has erupted from the pit, the shaft of the pit, and these locusts come out of it, and they start to torment the unbelievers. They start to torment those who have not bowed the knee to Jesus Christ, and this torment creates madness. It creates this hopelessness that there's nowhere to turn, there's nowhere to go. And though they have all of these things, though they have all of these things that they have tried to prop themselves up with, nothing will suffice to save them from that day. And it will be so bad and so hopeless, so hopeless, and the despair will be so great that they will wish they were dead, but they can't even kill themselves. This utter horrible state of depression and, 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 and absolute hopelessness is the judgment of God for Jesus Christ is the only hope of redemption. He is the only hope of redemption. All of those outside of him will long for death, but death itself will even free flee from them. And what this tells me is, is that those of you who, who love the Lord Jesus Christ and who are part of the covenant family, none of these things will affect you like this. None of these things will, will be able to overcome you to the point that you will not recover. That even when they do come against you, it will serve as evidence to bolster your ability to proclaim that I have been washed in the blood. Because these things will not be able to take away from you what has been given. But those who do not have Christ have no hope whatsoever. He goes on. It says, In appearance, the locusts were like horses prepared for battle on their heads. Uh, <clears throat> were what looked like crowns of gold. Their faces were like human faces. Their hair like women's hair and their teeth like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron and the noise of their wings was like the noise of many chariots with horses rushing into battle. They have tails and stings like scorpions and their power to hurt people for five months is in their tails. They have as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon and in Greek he is called Apollyon. You see, this is absolutely uh, taking us back to Joel chapter 1 and chapter 2, where the same thing is said of those uh, that would be judged of Israel who were disobedient. I'll turn there and read uh, just a little bit of that for you so that you can see exactly what John is doing here. I think he is drawing from the Joel text as he says this. 
speaking to uh, Israel and those who are far off from him. He says, hear this, you elders, give ear, all inhabitants of the land. Has such a thing happened in your day or in the days of your fathers? Tell your children of it and let your children tell their children and their children to another generation. What the cutting locust left, the swarming locust has eaten. What the swarming locust left, the hopping locust has eaten. And what the hopping locust has left, the destroying locust has eaten. Awake, you drunkards, and weep and wail, all you drinkers of wine, because of the sweet wine. For it is cut off from your mouth. For a nation has come up against my land, powerful and beyond number. Its teeth are lion's teeth, and it has the fangs of a lioness. It has laid waste my vine and splintered my fig tree. It has has stripped off the bark and thrown it down. Their branches are made white. <clears throat> Skip over to chapter 2, verse 1. <clears throat> Blow a trumpet in Zion. Sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It is near, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness. Like blackness there is spread upon the mountain, a great and powerful people. There like has never been before, nor will there ever be again uh, after them through the years of all the generations." I told you two weeks ago that I did not want to take that sermon. I didn't feel like the Lord was, was prompting me to take that sermon, sermon and, and, and really lay out this horrible, evil, horrific judgment in the way that it was threatening to you. But I will today, for the Lord is saying that it will be far worse than any of you realize if you deny Jesus Christ. And I do not say this of a prayer prayed, but of a life lived. And I can say that confidently through the text because what the text says is, that the saints will persevere and all that do not persevere obviously did not have the seal of the living God stamped on their foreheads. They were not known in the streets for Jesus Christ. Maybe in some building somewhere in some small town they might have been known as a Christian and by word only they might have been known as a Christian but a tree will be known by the fruit that it bears and I say to you with great warning that if you will not bow the knee to Jesus Christ in every aspect of life, if you will not give to him everything that he demands, then you will not stand on the day of judgment in a way that is pleasing to your soul, but you will pay dearly for your rebellion against the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, it will be far worse than even explained here because we can tell that John is grasping for every visual key from the Old Testament to be able to explain just how bad it's going to be. When he says that it's so bad that you will long to die when the man that is opposed to God has, has only his life has only the physical what he's saying is is that you're worse than a dead man you see i cannot explain to you how horrible the judgment and the afterlife will be for those of you who do not bow the knee to jesus christ and i cannot tell you that we are not speaking of some blabbed out prayer some 13 word prayer that has no effectual roots in your life but we are talking about the heart that cries out to god save me from myself for i am a wretched sinner and it's transformed as the song says, all my hope is in Jesus. Is your hope in Jesus Christ or is your hope in this world? Let us examine ourselves to, be, to see whether or not we be in the faith. Lest we as fake Christians stand before the Lord and he say, get out of here. I never knew you. And now you experience judgment like you've never experienced before. Hell is real. It's hot and it's a long time. You better get right with God. I don't know how else to say it. My fear is that many of us are convinced that we are children of God, but we have no idea what that means. 
I'm starting to realize the more that I know, the more I realize I never knew. And this, don't misunderstand me. I'm not telling you that by the works of your hands you'll be saved. I'm not. I'm telling you that a truly redeemed heart and a truly transformed soul will look a certain way. It cannot help it. It cannot help it. Not in the least. Not in the least. There's horrible, horrible judgments being poured out. And you see... Let's not forget, let's reestablish the context. Let's reestablish the foundational teaching that we started with in Revelation chapter 1. John does not speak of this as some future event that's not already inaugurated. He says, I, your fellow partaker and partner in the tribulation and in the kingdom, we need to understand that we are already in the tribulation and that these things are beginning to be manifest and have already begun to be manifest against the unbelievers. You see, while they look like they are just fine and dandy, why do you think that there are so many rock stars and superstars jumping off buildings and pulling the trigger? Because they have, they've put their hope in this world and this world has no hope. We have here no lasting city. We're strangers in this land. We're strangers in this world. And I plead with you. You see, many of you may be Christians, true Christians, born again Christians, but you're trying to, to to find your identity in this world. You're find, trying to find your hope in this world. And that's why you're so conflicted. And that's why you're so confused. And that's why you say, I see my, I really do believe in Jesus, but why can't I have the hope that so-and-so has? Why can't I have the peace that so-and-so has? Well, what's the difference in your life and the life of this, this person that you're looking to? This is just very practical stuff right here. You know, I, I, cannot, I, cannot, I cannot express to you how important it is to have a daily relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. You must be pursuing him. You must be loving him. And I'm not talking about reading, you know, two verses and done, two and done, you know, one and done, three and done. That's not what I'm talking about. We were speaking of this the other night in here, uh, Wednesday night, just talking about this rich wet, wonderful, intimate relationship that we long to have with God. You see, the truth of the matter is, is that those who are born again by the power of the Holy Spirit do not have to fear the enemy. You see, the crazy thing is, is that as Christians, we spend half our lives wondering how we can overcome the enemy, and the enemy's already overcome. All we got to do is just start living the life that God has for us to live. It's crazy because we're trying to say, I want peace. I want peace. It's already right there. It's like, it's like my son who, who, who I've, I, I might give a candy bar to, and he's too young to understand, or my little girl who I might give a piece of candy to or something, and she's crying. I had this happen just the other day. Not my son, but my little girl. <clears throat> we're sitting at the table, and I'm feeding her. She's in her high chair, and <clears throat> she likes to have things in both hands. You know, just like most women I know want it all, okay? No, that was good though, wasn't it? So, so here it is. I'm, 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 I've already uh, fed her, and now it's dessert time. And I like this part because it really makes her love me. So I got some chocolate chip cookies, okay? I'll break them into small pieces. She's just one. And I'll take, and if you can imagine, I'm sitting at the table here, and she's in her high chair here. I'll break it all into little pieces. And so she doesn't just stuff them all in her mouth at one time. I put me a stack right here that I can feed her from. And I put one in each hand because she wants them in her hand. And then I'll put one in her mouth. Okay? Oh, she loves it. 
You know what's crazy, though? She'll have one in each hand, and when she finishes that one in her mouth, if I don't give the other one fast enough, ah! Ah! she's got one in her hand, remember? And with the one in her hand, she'll hold it with three fingers and point to my stack over here. Ah! And I'm sitting there telling her, there's one in your hand. There's one in your hand. There's one in your hand. But she is looking over here, not realizing that she's got the one in her hand. All she's got to do is go. Sometimes I'll, like, I'll take her hand and like manipulate it over to her mouth and put the one in her hand in her mouth. So she'll realize that I had already given you one. You just wouldn't take advantage of what you already had. You see what I'm saying? You've been given power over, over, over demons. Most of you are trying to get power over spending too much money, over looking at something on the television that you shouldn't, over sitting down and taking 30 minutes or an hour to just read the Bible. You, you see where I'm coming from? While we should be in the world being used by God as mighty warriors to combat demonic influence, we're at the house going, my husband won't wash dishes. My, my wife, well, we won't say it go there, but <clears throat> you see what I'm saying? We, we struggle with the craziest things. I have people come to me with, with some crazy stuff. Now, I want to hear you. Come on. We'll talk about it. We'll talk about it. But I long for the day, and I've seen people do it. I've seen, and it's a continual process. We've all been given a measure of faith. We're all in a different place. I understand. I get it. I've seen people grow to a place where they're used by God in tremendous ways. And as I reflect on it, and as I reflect on my own life, 99 times out of 100, you really just needed to get out of your own way. You really just needed to stop focusing on what you don't have or can't do and be looking at what you do have and what you can do and be used by God. You see, God doesn't need your, Hamill says this all the time, I like it, God doesn't need your ability, he needs your availability. Because God's going to do it. It is, it is God who is at work in you both the will and the work for his good pleasure. God's going to do it. He's just looking for a willing vessel. And, and the more we open ourselves up to being used by God, the more he'll use us. You see, here in the Revelation text, we understand that we've been given power and dominion over the dark forces of this world. Why? Why? Because of the Luke 10 text. Because Jesus Christ says that all who hear you hear me. And anything you bind here is bound, and anything you lose here is bound, and any. It's because it's a transfer of authority from me to you. It goes back to being ambassadors, and we saw that in Revelation chapter 4. We've been called to be ambassadors of Christ. We've been granted authority over the demons, over the demonic realm. We have been granted authority over sickness and disease, and, and God's got his plan in some of those things. And sometimes, just like the, the apostles or disciples, we come back and we say, God, I tried to pray for this one and nothing happened. I tried, and, and he said, this, one, this one's for this reason or that reason. And hey, I got a plan for this. But God is calling us to go into the world and to exercise authority over the, uh, over the world like we've never done before. I, I can't say anything else but just go. Go.
Get into the Word. Allow Jesus Christ, who, who was, a, was God who came into the flesh, in order to secure for us the covenant blessings, in order to secure for us the promises of God, in order to make it true that we are heirs of the promise, we are heirs of the Son, and that we have been granted all dominion over this earth because He has all dominion over this earth. It's not what you need to have. It's operating in what you've already been given. Take that cookie and just eat it. Just eat it. Get chocolate all over your face. Let's, go, let's just go. And sometimes that prayer that we need to pray, it needs to stop being, oh, God, change this, or oh, God, change that, or oh, God, change my husband, oh, God, change my wife. Sometimes it just needs to be, God, help me to stop trying to change everything and to live in what you've already given me right now. You ever considered that maybe God's got, you know, we've been preaching the whole book of Revelation saying that God authors the trials and tribulations in order to make us into who he desires for us to be and that we should suffer well in order to glorify him. Have you ever thought that God don't want to change his situation? God doesn't want to take away this burden. God doesn't want to take away this trial. That he's got that there for a reason. And you need to stop asking him to take it away already and figure out what he's trying to help you to see and walk in it. Just walk in it. God, it, God's got all, all authority. And he allowed this thing to come. That's not to say that, that he's the author of sin or anything else. But God allowed this thing to come. And he's got a purpose in it. And you can have confidence that he has authority over it. And that he has power to help you come through it and to be built up by it. Amen? Amen? As we stand to our feet, let's acknowledge who Jesus Christ is today. He's the sovereign ruler of the world. He is the one that grants authority to anyone. He is the one that helps us to see exactly who we need to be. He's already granted to those of you who believe full acceptance into the kingdom of God. And he has also granted to you power over the demonic forces and over the darkness. He has granted to you the power and the authority to go into the world and to proclaim to the lost children who their daddy is that they might come out of the world and into his presence and into his kingdom. The question is, will you take your focus off of you long enough to go and be who he's called you to be? Get up and get out because the world is crumbling and they need us to be who God's called us to be, warriors of Christ. Warriors of Christ, come and do business with God and let's do what he's called us to do. Come.